Thrones on the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to episode 91 of the On the Table Gaming podcast. I'm Chase, and today we're going to be talking about what makes something a good game. Now, I'm a big fan of A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. And, you know, as I've been exploring other games, I've been looking at Marvel Crisis Protocol. We've been dabbling in some historicals with Mortal Gods. Now, I've been learning a lot of new systems and people keep asking me, hey, you know, Chase, you know, are those games any good? So it really got me thinking when we're talking about tabletop games, war games, board games, you know, card games, what makes something a good game? So this is kind of a subjective question, but I thought what I'd do is I'd pull in some of the brightest minds uh, that I know and that we'd ask them about, you know, what do they think makes a good game? We can talk about some of our experiences with games that we've played. So today I'm joined by Ariel from Sarge's Comics, Brian the Builder, and A Song of Ice and Fire Builder, Mark, to talk about their preferences and, you know, what they find compelling in, in good games. So thank you guys all for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Sure. Great to be back. Let's just jump in here. What What are some games that people have enjoyed playing or are enjoying playing? Mark, why don't you start us off? Uh, well, uh, I originally, when I jumped on your podcast, was playing a song, Ice and Fire, and I couldn't really get that to take off in my area. Just there, there, there's definitely a few people playing, but not a ton. But now, um, I'm very much into Star Wars Legion, and uh, I've been just now getting into Marvel Crisis Protocol, and it has been a blast. In addition to any other random board game I could play and a weekly D&D game. I feel like you got a, a good spattering of games you're playing and you're often kind of like trying to, to pitch me new games I should be interested in. Yeah, you should listen to me more. <laughs> no, we'll see where this goes. I'm, I'm getting... <laughs> we got we got you uh, getting into crisis protocol now. So that's true. I'm taking a look now. There was some subtle pressure being applied. So Yeah, I'm very subtle. Brian, how about you? What are some games that you enjoy playing? Sure. Uh, so the game that I've sort of spent the most time and been most committed to was uh, War Machine, which I've been playing now for, ooh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to keep track, but two or th- three years longer, I, you know. I think it's longer than that, that because we played that before Song of Ice and Fire came out. Yeah, we, we've definitely played that for, played it for a while, and actually, Chase, you're the one who originally got me into it. Like, <laughs> Take this out. And then I was like, crazy game out and you know i kind of initially got really interested in it because the mechanics seemed uh it just seemed very interesting coming from uh warhammer which uh chase and i played for for a while you know back when we were you know <laughs> young young impressionable minds, young, impressionable <laughs> minds. Like middle school through high school at least yeah, yeah exactly so uh it just seemed like you know kind of th- had the things that we enjoyed about warhammer with some more interesting mechanics that kind of add a little more complexity and made it a little more strategic. So that's the game I've been playing now uh, for a bit. And uh, I've actually gone to a couple like organized event tournaments, which have been, you know, a lot of fun. Now you also play card games though, right? Yeah, I play a lot. I mean, I play a lot, (laughs) you know, I I guess I've played, I play off and on magic. um, But it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I play a little while, then it sort of dies out, and then I see some people start picking it up, and I jump in and <laughs> uh, show them my ridiculous decks. And uh, uh, yeah, so I, I play a, there's a bu- definitely a bunch of uh, games, but you know, I, I guess right now, really not much is the, <laughs> it's unfortunately the right. answer in the current situation, current circumstances. Yeah. So, you know, I play whatever, you know, yeah. over whatever you, you can know, get, whatever I can get. 
Yeah, COVID's definitely put a dampen on things this year for gaming. But yeah. Uh, Ariel, how about you? What kind of games have do you enjoy playing? Uh, well, COVID aside, <laughs> um, I <laughs> I did start playing Legion with the Gen Con Clone Wars release, and I really enjoyed that. I also picked up Crisis Protocol when it released. Played a little bit of A Song of Ice and Fire, um, not too much, but I did enjoy what I did play. And aside from that, I do have ongoing D&D and Expanse pen and paper games online, obviously, but it's a little bit easier to continue them despite COVID. So those are those are my jam. People have probably, if you listen to the podcast, you, you could probably guess that I'm playing A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game, but Star Wars Legion has also been kind of my go-to. And so both of those games since release have been something that I found really compelling. And I think, uh, you know, in the past, we've played other miniatures games. I always enjoyed playing things like D&D. &D, uh, but I think the, the miniatures games particularly I find appealing. Um, and for me, a lot of the ones that I, things I liked about uh, Star Wars Legion and A Song of Ice and Fire were the, the pacing, like being able to play a quick game that wasn't like a six hour endeavor and it was sort of go back and forth like kind of a you know there's always something to do that you're thinking about there's not like a big long down period while you're waiting for your turn so that being said you know i think between us we've we've all played a, a quite a few game types and you know when you're looking at a new game what are some of the things that you consider important for that game to have to you know really want to make you invest in it so like what what compels you to buy a game Brian, are there certain things when you're looking at a game that a game like has to have or or that you find particularly enticing? Good question. So, yeah, I mean, I guess what it came to War Machine is just sort of a, a a new angle to playing a game, existing game. You know, a new a new mechanic that sort of add a little more complexity or a little just sort of another dimension to it that uh, you know I have not, I don't get in my my current games. Um, I guess one game I tried to introduce, well, we, we played a bit uh, in my uh, quarantine times in Connecticut, was uh, <laughs> Crystal Clans, which is a game I just sort of randomly picked up at uh, one of the PAX Unplugged uh, uh, events. Um, and that for me was an interesting kind of, it, it, in a way it kind of captured something that I get from, you know, some of the tabletop mini, mini games that I play, but does it in such a way that, you know, it's A, like a quick board game with minimal investment and B, like, but at the same time has all the sort of complexity and variety and like the different factions that you play. So uh, that was sort of something that kind of was interested me a lot that it kind of combined those two things, two elements while sort of also allowing for a simple play. So Crystal Clans uh, is really interesting because it's a, it's a board that has you know squares on it so it's like your it's like your battle map but your terrain is just a board with a bunch of squares and you put down units and the units are just a card and then you can move the card a number of squares and so it actually kind of plays like a war game but it's you know card based and uh you know more in that board game sphere so what about that like was intriguing to you like why were you like this is the game i want to put some money down for I just, it, I saw there's a lot of, you know, like any sort of good uh, war game, it sort of has a lot of variety in the factions that you play. So, and it kind of captured that. You kind of you have all these very different factions that played in very different ways and sort of allow you to play it. Uh, and also sort of introduce some randomness to it, but at the same time, you know, allow you to sort of control and, no, you know, nothing's incredibly random. There's no dice or anything. So everything's sort of fixed, but you still kind of have the interactions of, 
playing cards at different times and not knowing what your opponent has. So yeah, that, that's sort of what kind of interested me about the game. Uh, Ariel, when you're looking at a new game, you know, what are some of the things that you consider? I mean, I'm going to be upfront. I like the aesthetics of games a lot. So if, if something is uh, thematically similar to things that I enjoy, like if um, like Star Wars, obviously, um, and Marvel Crisis Protocol is my comics love. So um, those kinds of things appeal to me on like a personal level. So if it's, if it's a fun game, in addition to having, you know, really nice models and really um, a familiar theme that I enjoy, that's kind of something that sucks me in. I completely agree. Um, So I was actually going to mention that I dropped a song, I some fire, because if I'm not going to have time to play a game, I would much rather have the Hulk on my shelf than 12 Spearmen. Hmm. Like, <laughs> that's just, you know, just adding to what, what you had to say about it. Absolutely. I think, you know, theme is a huge factor here. And I think maybe we'll get into this later, but I know Brian and I, you know, we've gamed together for a long time. We're kind of a little bit like opposites in that, where Brian, you're much more about like the mechanics. I think I gravitate towards the aesthetics as well. But at the same time, I, I'm also, I think, very, I, I realize now that, uh, you know, I'm very pulled, much pulled in by, you know, just sort of the aesthetics as well. I feel like, you know, War Machine was, it, it provided an inter- interesting sort of world on the surface. And I feel like maybe in some ways I'm a little too surface uh, level on things because I've, uh, <laughs> you know, I feel like throughout the Warhammer, Warhammer 40,000 days, like, chase you'd get very into like <laughs> lore and stuff and i'm just like yeah, yeah. cool bug aliens i want i, want, <laughs> I don't want to know anything more about them but yeah. as long as they're yeah. cool looking models and they you know have general mechanics that make them weird and you know creepy that's 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 i'm all in so mark when you when you're looking at a games too is that is that like the number one thing for you is that what compels you to buy it? you're like these minis look awesome or this artwork is beautiful like take my money well, that draws me in, but I've definitely gotten much better about it. Um, I used to be really bad about Kickstarter, where I'd look at kick, I'd look at a Kickstarter and say, "Oh my God, these minis they look amazing! I have to jump on this." And um, that used to draw me in way too fast. They used to draw me in. I'd spend <laughs> way too much money. Um, but th- that definitely is what catches my eye. But after that, it has to have a rule set that I feel like I'm going to want to play more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been games recently that I've seen that I'm like, man, I really want the minis for this game, but I'm buying it just for the minis because I don't think I like the rule set at all. So I, I just stayed away from it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting better about that. Now, when you buy a game that, you know, maybe you're, you just like the minis for, do you end up like using those minis in other games that you do enjoy better? Well, like, do they get to D and D then? I, I've stopped doing that for that reason, okay. but yes, we, I have used minis before in, um, D and D uh from board games that were unrelated for example i've used uh one of my hate minis for one of my D characters a while back and i haven't even gotten hate to the table yet i'm planning on it but i haven't gotten to the table yet that's one of the fun things that i always find about a song of ice and fire is i get messages like all the time from people that are like hey like i don't want to play the game but i really want to have this sort of thing in my D game like what unit box should i buy to get the yeah. most miniatures that could be this and it's like oh like that's cool like they are great sculpts. Well, there were shops local to me that were splitting up unit boxes or starter boxes and just selling the minis for things like that. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I guess for me, when I'm looking at a game, I think the thing I consider probably the most important, and it's I just started realizing this, but it's just how important theme is to me. I think, Brian, maybe this is something that you've always sort of known or seen by me. 
But I, I think, uh, you know, I suddenly realized when I'm looking at the games I play, it's like A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game, Star Wars Legion. Now I'm getting into Marvel Crisis Protocol. And they all have like uh, a world with like histories and things to like kind of explore, interact with that are like outside of the game, right? There's like a larger story. You know, I was that guy in when we were playing Warhammer way back in like middle school, high school, where I'd like get the codices and the other army books for other factions, like just to read them and be like, oh, like these guys are way up from there in the space field. Like, yeah. that's cool. And it's like nothing <laughs> to do with the actual game. I show up and Brian would be like, I've got my crazy army. And it's like, well, Brian, that's not exactly how this would be. I think I was like an early like historical <laughs> rivet counter before I realized that was a thing. I, I just yeah. have a fistful of termagants. Yeah. <laughs> like, as, yeah. as my guardsmen were being devoured by monsters on some alien planet, I was like, well, that does make sense. That's that's <laughs> Um, but I realized just to me how, how important theme is and the kind of the narrative part of it. And so that was actually having now played a little bit of Marvel crisis protocol. I think actually, Brian, you were there. We did the demo of that game at PAX and yeah. I would say it was not a good demo. No. And it wasn't until playing with Ariel and then now playing even more realizing that like, Oh, when you're, when you're playing Marvel crisis protocol, like part of the fun is like the story and these like narrative moments where it's like, Oh, like, you know, I, Mark, we were just playing recently and like Thor threw Loki at me. And it's like, oh, this is like kind of like a some cool story moments happening within the regular framework of the game. And that like really is compelling to me. So I think like the story and the narrative are a big part of it. So if you ever want to get Chase hooked on a game, just let him win once. It's there all we right. go. Exactly right. And then the next game we played, he <laughs> crushed me so hard. I was like, what? What is this? So out of what you guys were talking about, then I, I heard. So, Brian, you were talking about kind of variety um, and having some sort of randomness that could be controlled by game actions. Or you're talking about aesthetics and that really spoke to me. And then Mark, you brought up this idea of like replayability and that the game might um, need to have some component of, you know, drawing you back in and being able to play multiple times. Well, not even just replayability. Um, what, some of the biggest draws for me and not necessarily uh, legacy games in general, but some kind of progression. Like there are legacy games out there now, but there are also games like uh, Descent or Imperial Assault um, that where you can <laughs> progress Bad through. Music. What? Oh, yeah. Sad music. Yeah. Poor, poor I, I, never, I, don't play the, I don't play the skirmish. I don't care. I want the storyline um, where you can progress through a storyline and you can improve your characters, things like that. I love those types of games. Things like uh, Gloomhaven, Draw Me In, Arcadia Quest for a lighter, you know, uh, campaign type game, Imperial Assault. I love that stuff. Uh, have anyone else had experience with games like that or find that appealing? I tried to get into Gloopaven and looking at the rules is great. And then I, unfortunately, <laughs> I think I, like, yeah, it, Gloomhaven seems to have a lot of appeal with sort of the progression of the game. I think the problem for me was there's just too many pieces. And unfortunately, it's a monster. Yeah. And unfortunately, I came out with a computer game version of it. And it's, yeah. it's one of those things where maybe it's going to be hard to sort of justify doing that over something where you don't have to, like, find every single treasure chest or, like, piece of rubble and you're out of the thousands of pieces so yeah. Um, but yeah i definitely want to I, I definitely want to get more into gloomhaven and games like that with this sort of solid progression you sort of have that attachment to your character yeah well they just released um a more accessible one called jaws of the lion and they have frosthaven coming soon that's uh that top kingdom death kingdom that's another good example of something with progression um as the biggest uh, board game kickstarter just a little bit ago 
you know, noticeably though, a lot of the games that we also play though don't have a progression system in them. A lot of them seem to be like confrontational, like you know, uh, Magic One on One or uh, Song of Ice and Fire, Star Wars Legion. They're one on one games that don't have that built in. Yeah, but I, I put those in a different category. I mean, those are war games. Um, I feel like those are the type of game where you build different lists and you um, you see how different units play things like that, where the games I was explaining have more of a progression factor to them, how you build on top of your characters. So if there was a war game that came out that had some sort of progression, that would be like the Mark game. It would be weird. It would, would be, it? It'd be... That's not something... You know, you would play over one session, you know, mm-hmm. so it doesn't sound like it fits together. Quickly speaking of progression games and some, something, Chase, that you pointed out recently was they're, they're re-releasing or coming up with the new Hero Quest. Oh, man. <laughs> and talk, uh, talking about that, that, that sort of that very, as I recall, had a very basic progression system. Um, I don't know if you guys played that uh but uh, yeah, that's a very sort of old school, very original, like, you know, RPG board game. Um, and I'm kind of curious, you know, if, if we were to go back and play now, if that would be. Uh, Does it hold how up? That would compare. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing is like Hero Quest has like a nostalgia factor, right? Where it's like just a game that I've enjoyed so much as a kid. I'm kind of scared to go back and look at it. And so now that they're teasing some sort of re-release or something. You know, Don't I, ruin your old memories yeah (laughs) so one of the things that often comes up with sort of the tabletop war games is there's a a lot of opportunity for you know kind of continuous challenge right since you're always playing against another person there's a lot of variables to take into account you can actually get better at the game and you can develop mastery and grow and become more skillful and yet the game is still challenging because the the opponent is you know oftentimes unpredictable or is also getting better uh, and I know I've played some games like Zombicide that are co-op. Um, and, you know, at, at some point, that's a great game and I really enjoy it. Uh, and it does a great job of like addressing like replayability with, you know, random spawns. And when you play with different people, it feels different every time. However, at a certain point, it feels like you get to like a skill plateau because, you know, once you've played it enough, you know, the real variable becomes the random cards drawn and 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 other people and their personalities do you guys feel like when you're playing a tabletop war game, does a certain amount of randomness, is that what makes the game good? Or would you be happier with a game? Like, would you play a war game that had no dice? Like, to what extent does the randomness make the game good to you? Um, I, I like the randomness, but I think there should always be ways to mitigate it. You know, it shouldn't be the driving factor of the game. You should always have ways to say, okay, we know that I have to roll the dice here, but my odds are very good because I'm doing this or that. Um, I think that, you know, the that kind of thing plays into games like um, the Arkham games, Arkham Horror, uh, Elder Signs, that kind of thing where, you know, there's, there's a stronger storyline element and it's more cooperative, like you said, with Zombie Side. But there is still rolling and it's it's not quite as randomized because you can influence the the outcome a little bit more with your decisions outside of the role. Whereas in a game like Legion, you know, you can do a little bit to do that, but it's still like if you completely flop your role, you flop your role. There's nothing you can really do about it. Unless you have like a million name tokens. Saved up. <laughs> yep, that's oh. a strategy with a lot of units. I mean, it is like 
when we were playing the other we're, day we're, close. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're playing the other day and she's over here like well i don't want to aim so i'm just going to move and get my aim token even though i'm not going to move anywhere because that's the efficient <laughs> way of doing it like, okay okay listen it worked <laughs> it works either way right. i'm taking the move action which gets me my token <laughs> Would you still play Legion or a game like that, though, if instead of being like, hey, um, you know, you're going to roll your your six white dice, if we were just like, listen, the average number of hits from that would be, you know, uh, 2.5 hits. And so the unit just does two or three damage automatically. Like if there was no dice rolling, you know, would it maybe make it more strategic, less strategic? Like does that is that chance factor, like going to roll the dice, does that set the game apart and maybe make it more appealing? You know, as we kind of get into the sort of like chess and checkers versus like, you know, your traditional war game sort of sort of ground, how much does randomness, you know, in, increase the, the enjoyability of a game? I think for me, like it, it does increase the enjoyability because there's a little bit more of a an exciting element of let me see what I can do with these dice and whether they'll like me today. <laughs> um <laughs> Whereas if it's just like, I know that this unit is going to do, you know, three damage unless they have some kind of mitigating factor on their unit, it's, I think it's more high level strategy if you do it that way, I, I think, but, um, but I think it takes away sort of the excitement of it for me. I agree. I like a little a little bit of that randomness in the dice roll. I just think there should always be a way to mitigate it or um, zero saying before um, do something before the roll or outside the roll to affect it. Interesting thing I was just reading about like um, board games, playing games with kids. And they were saying a lot of children's games will have much greater variables in randomness. And so that the idea is that you could play those games with an adult and it's still like a fun, exciting game for the kid because it's not so skill-based. It's like, oh, I drew this card. I get to move get forward like three purple squares. And like that person didn't. But then on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, you have like chess and checkers where like everything is so clearly played out. And I think chess is considered like probably one of the preeminent like competitive games out there. You know, as we have games, I didn't play a lot of Guild Ball, but from my understanding is they like tried to move towards like much more of a less random sort of gameplay so it could provide more skill. You know, A Song of Ice and Fire has a certain amount of randomness in it. If it's skewed more or less, like they moved to the panic test. For those of you that aren't familiar, originally when you played A Song of Ice and Fire and you took a, a damage, you took wounds, you would have to take a panic test from an attack. So you'd roll two dice, and whatever the result you got on there, you compared it to your morale stat. And for every you know number under that number, you took that many wounds. So if you had eight morale and you rolled snake eyes, you're going to take six wounds right then. Well, then they changed that to being if you failed, you just took a D3 wounds and it lowered that threshold. There's way less randomness. And suddenly as a free folk player, I could now predict where my units were going to be staying alive a lot easier. And so it felt like, okay, maybe that actually increased the skill level. Well, you know, if we mitigated that even further and we said, okay, instead of having it be, you know, D3 wounds, what if it was like a set value that I could always predict, you know, would that maybe even make the game more strategic? Or, you know, is the the dice variables, is that actually kind of what makes it fun? Those like random swings where it's like, oh, I did everything that I could, but yet, you know, the dice were not with me. Now, Brian, coming from like a war machine background, like, I don't know, what's your view on like randomness or dice variance? Yeah, a big part of war machine is kind of controlling your dice. You always have sort of points to spend to make sure that, you know, you have control over what the dice, you know, what the dice outcomes are. And, you know, you decide which dice you want to sort of, 
have it a much better chance of succeeding at versus others that you fail. So I think it's, you know, it is like, you know, I feel like it, it's actually funny hearing people just sort of, people do get very angry about dice a lot. They're just, you know, I feel like that's sort of something that people get sort of uh, um, burnt out on uh, is, is just, you know, dice failing over and over and just saying, oh, this whole game is kind of thrown because of the dice. But at the same time, like, you know, you are, you do have that control. So in a way, giving control kind of maybe if things were like, maybe if it was like more like Warhammer 4000 or something where the dice were always just sort of random and you had no control, maybe it'd be less frustrating. But as soon as you start having a little control, maybe that is a little more frustrating to people when it actually, you know, you don't, it don't, it doesn't go your way. And bring up the idea of like frustration um, you know, sort of like people use the terms like a negative play experience, like, um, you know, if there are things built into the game that maybe are frustrating or that are like, hmm, I'm trying to think of how to put it, where like a negative effect versus a positive effect. So in A Song of Ice and Fire, I can have a unit charge another unit. And if I'm charging, I get to reroll my attack dice. And like that feels pretty good. But if I have a weakened token on me, they can make me reroll my attack dice. You know, that if they expend the token, they bring me reroll my attack. And that's always like, doesn't feel as great when you're like having things subtracted. Um, are there, you know, general things that you, like if a game has a lot of like nullification or cancel effects, do you feel like that maybe takes away from the overall enjoyment of the game? Or do you feel like, you know what, that's actually, you know, part of the strategy. And as long as everyone has access to them, that's fine. I think if there are too many abilities that cancel out someone's ability to do something, it makes it less fun. Um, I think those things have their place, but if too often I'm like, I want to do this and you're like, Nope, can't do it. Counterplot. Like if there's, you know, a ton of those, it does make it less fun. So one of the things I'm trying to still figure out about Marvel crisis protocol and, uh, Ariel, I know you played a bit of it, Mark quite a bit. And Brian, I know, I think you just jumped in and watched that game. I was playing with Mark, but the, uh, one of the things in this game I can't quite figure out yet is, you know, do the dice rolls, are they kind of swingy in the way that you can get a crit and then re-roll a crit one more time like so it adds a die to the dice pool so you can actually get like kind of pretty large pools if you roll abnormally well oh there's some crazy large pools that you can get you can get like tens of sets of dice just depending on you know what character you're fielding if they have certain extra abilities if you have certain team tactics cards like you can get I think someone said something like 60-something dice on a black Yeah, player. if you use, I think it's called Doomsday Prophecy. I can't remember what it is, mm. but where she, like, gets extra attacks and stuff and all this other yeah. stuff, and it, it adds up. And But it's fairly obvious yeah, you're going to do it. <laughs> right, but you can really just, like, nuke something if you're determined. So I had a, someone posted on a, on a Facebook post saying, you know, hey, but we heard you talk about Marvel Crisis Protocol. We went and checked out some battle reports, and, you know, it just seems really swingy uh like if you can have a dice pool that can get quite large or or you know use these effects like you know maybe it's just from the one battle report i saw like but th i don't know is this is this actually a good game does this like unbalanced stuff is that a sense you get while playing the game not me um first of all i think those giant dice pools are very uh, very much the exception and not the rule um i don't think they happen that often i think a lot of times you have to spend a lot of resources to do it or um you're really extending yourself to do it. Uh, and yeah, sometimes it can be swingy, but I think that it, it feels like you're a superhero, like you should be powerful. 
you should be able to take an attack and do something big against someone else. Like that's that's what the superhero game should be. In my yeah, I completely agree. I I think the the comeback mechanics in this game are fantastic. The really the ability to like he said take damage but then turn that into actual power like you you get power tokens when you get um hurt by the enemy and then you can turn around and use that for like a really big attack you can build it up and you know save up your power and just dump it on somebody and that really does make it feel more like a super powered game like you you get that sense of your character has been fighting and fighting and fighting and is really just like throwing everything they've got now. So that's what I feel like maybe sometimes hard when people are like, what makes this game good? Like what makes a song of ice and fire good? And, you know, honestly, sometimes I have a hard time putting it into words exactly. And it's the same thing with Marvel crisis protocol. And to some extent, like star Wars Legion as well. Um, but you know, for a song of ice and fire, there was something about, you know, there being troops on the table, and then these non-combat units, like Cersei Lannister was the big one when I first started out. And it was like, oh, in, in using her in the game, it felt like in a subjective way, it felt like how I imagined she would be influencing the, in the battle in like in the books or something. Like it had a like a real world or not a real world, but it had a a way of just making a uh, like intangible like connection where like, oh, this just, just feels right. And you're talking about these superheroes like it feels like being a superhero. Um, you know, so it's not only about like the aesthetics, but it's like somehow translating that to the table. And I know, Brian, I know we had talked before about uh, War Machine and, and um, you know, about like the lore and you're not necessarily like super into the lore aspect of it. But you were mentioning that, you know, you didn't really need to be because when you like when you use the casters and their big war jacks, it already like tells you about the lore, about how things interact. Like, you know, yeah. maybe speak to like how War Machine maybe feels a certain way or or it translates that lore into the game sure sure i mean yeah you definitely want to sort of and definitely with war machine you you get the feel that you are you know this powerful you know sorcerer whatever you want to call it warcaster um basically kind of controlling an army and sort of exerting your power across the battlefield and it sort of does all that and you know you have these war jacks which are sort of these big machines that are sort of linked to that caster and kind of powered by him so um yeah this is it definitely does a good job of sort of you know giving you that feeling i guess as you're saying with marvel crisis protocol you have that same feeling where you feel like a hero um you feel like you have those superpowers you're doing these big things and i guess that's sort of key in in for, for me any game i play i guess it, it doesn't necessarily make me want to play a game if if that's sort of not your kind of like for example i'm not really into those you know marvel comics in the first place so i i think you know i recognize that's that's a, it's a good mechanic and a good game because of that um but i guess for me it's it's you know i i that that sort of aesthetic is kind of first primary to you first have to be into that before you get it like before the actual game can like sell that to you or like you know I can recognize that that's, you know, is representing that, but I'm not into that in the first, really all that into that in the first place. So, yeah. And I think I've known you for long enough now. Like I can generally pick out a game and be like, this is a Brian game. Like I have my own series of like classifying games and they're like, there's the Brian column. Um, and so it's not that you're like anti theme, but I feel like in a lot of ways you don't often go for the big, um, 
Like, I don't know you'd pick up a game because it's just because it's Star Wars, or you wouldn't necessarily look at it just because it's Game of Thrones or comics. And I think it's it's definitely a challenge with those. For me, at least, I see a challenge of, okay, you know, what kind of play space am I interested in? Uh, you know, what where are what's the faction that's uh, most interesting to me? And I guess in Star Wars or something, it's like, okay, maybe the droids or something like that. But, you know... I feel like there's sort of in game a Game of Thrones, you know, unless you're the White Walkers, which I imagine is a little, <laughs> a little too powerful. It's not. Uh, I guess it doesn't feel like there's an army that sort of kind of has that aesthetic. That's I, I'm kind of interested in playing. You want your monsters, exactly. <laughs> so, are there any games that you guys have played that you thought were going to be great, but you ended up just not enjoying as much as you thought you would at all once you actually got to play it or you picked it up? A whole bunch of Kickstarters. A whole bunch of Kickstarters. That's like a sad, sad, like, oh. Yeah, about 40%, I don't know, 30%. Really? Oh, wow. So, you had, a, so yeah. you had a lot where it's like, it seemed like a good thing, but when you got it, it was just like, so just overall when, disappointing. When I first really got into board gaming, um, I had a problem, like a lot of people, where you see something like, oh, this game's fun. I should get it. When in reality, you just like playing board games. It's not necessarily that you have to buy every game. Um, but my problem was I'd see Kickstarters and I'd be like, oh, this is a great concept. And it turns out, yeah, it could be a great concept, but it's not executed well. Gotcha. So there's a lot of games that I sold after playing them once. Um, and I've I've become much more picky since. I guess an interesting game that we played at one of the Unplugged, you know, I, I think this is probably where I get a lot of or going to these uh, events. You get a get to sort of get a flavor for games. I'm not sure if that gives you the best or most complete sort of flavor, but that uh, I, I think one game was uh, Dust, which we played a little bit of. And, you know, oh, yeah. aesthetic gleams is amazing. It seems like a great, like, you know, this really cool setting and um, the miniatures are really cool. But, uh, and it, it, again, it's hard to say whether after playing it once, uh, you know, I really like it if I played it four or five <laughs> times. But I guess it didn't... It didn't As I recall, you'd be like, you're like, what were they, like Soviet, Russian operatives like wipe my american commandos out pretty quickly yeah <laughs> There's a selling factor of it i see how it is <laughs> yeah but it, it didn't it didn't i guess it didn't really pull me in as much because i i feel like i didn't get a sense that it was you know maybe it was sort of the grid system that it, you didn't feel like you're dynamically interacting with an environment that you would normally want to and it's sort of a tabletop game you don't sort of have the freedom of like oh i'm gonna hide this guy behind this rubble or do this right. it's more like oh yeah i'm in rubble or not which it's it's a cool concept and a cool like it seems like with a lot of games that would be you know it, it, with a lot of board games that's that's good that's sort of you you simplify it but i guess when it comes to a min miniature game it just if it's if it's you know you're kind of selling it on sort of the customization, the control, and like, oh, these are your cool units that you control, and you know, kind of make battle. But you're not really, in a way, like controlling the details, of the specifics of that battle. So I guess that was kind of a uh, something that uh, didn't pull me in. That All right, how about you? Any games that you've seen where you're like, this looks like it's gonna be awesome, and then you actually get to play it, you're like, eh. I mean, I've definitely had that experience with um, some of the other uh, Fantasy Flight Star Wars games. Um, I, I didn't really get into Armada or X-Wing. And I think that comes down to um, what I talked about earlier, the aesthetic for me. Like, I 
just wasn't big into ship battles yep. <laughs> and like i love star wars and i like watching ship battles but the actual dog fights didn't really do it for me so that was like i think really didn't buy into those games i just played them at sarge's um using my husband's models and um they were fun but it just wasn't like something that i really was into sense for me the big one was keyforge um yeah I, agree so with that. I bought into that and i was super excited i had a friend who uh, uh had i have a friend who um <laughs> no, i i uh, you know who you are You're not friends out, so. oh gosh no um so uh yeah i had a friend who worked for fantasy flight games and uh, he worked on their trailer for that game and i was like oh this is gonna be so cool i can't wait and i and I picked up a bunch of sets and uh, you know, I was never a big card games person. I did play a little bit of magic, but like I vastly prefer miniatures and like seeing things play out, you know, on the table. So having the manipulatives is is key. Uh, even playing D&D, I guess I really prefer like the grid maps, like the tactical combat aspect, maybe more than even the role playing side. I so, completely you know, agree. Yeah. So I thought like Keyforge would be really cool. It was hyped up and I got my decks. And then I guess it just wasn't, I think one of the things that was missing, and I maybe realized besides theme for games, another part of the gaming that I enjoy is like kind of the expansion part. Like it is fun getting new stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, not being able to expand on my deck, but buying like entirely new decks just didn't really do it for me. And what was kind of funny is that my, my wife really didn't like magic. Uh, she had played some Hearthstone, enjoyed that. But when we took a break, you could try and go back to it. And it was like, oh, I feel like I got left behind. Like, everything's so different. Um, and so, you know, she really liked getting the one deck and, like, trying to know it well and play it well. Uh, and I suddenly realized, like, you know, we kind of come at it from a different way where maybe I'm a little bit more on that treadmill where it's like, oh, what's the next thing coming out? Like, that's cool. And uh, maybe that's, like, kind of a weird, dark underside of a hobby. But, you know, are there certain things that make games good because you know they can be expanded on? Well, to me, the addiction factor. that might be it, though, right? I mean, exactly. T- to me, that was a CCG that wasn't a CCG. <laughs> it's like it wanted to be, but it wasn't. And it drove me nuts because I wanted to collect cards for it. I don't want to collect decks. I want to be able to make decks like it, it just wasn't my type of game. Yeah, I feel like there was sort of negative play experience. <laughs> I guess it was it was a late night after after a long uh, <laughs> after. Oh, wait. Oh yeah, unplugged. Yeah, and uh, I, I bought a few decks, <laughs> and I just got trounced, and it was just like over and over trounced. And it's like one of those things where it felt like it's it's hard, and it's also I guess and maybe uh, maybe I could get better with those decks, maybe I could improve them, but at the same time, it also feels like when you're kind of just you know dealt a hand, literally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're you it's easy to be like oh this is just not a good deck and i'm just bought the wrong one and i'm done yeah it just seems like a negative play experience of like um but also with that i i think what i found is that it it also was easy to feel like you kind of had to throw away cards like a mechanic of the game was like and i thought was probably something i had to master was like oh you just know when you have to throw away cards and that, that's like well that's not what I bought this deck for. I didn't buy this deck to like just be like, oh yeah, this card's useless. I'm not. I'm this turn. I'm gonna throw it away. Um, 
So I, th I think there's a few negative experience, uh, play experiences with, with involved in that. And also, yeah, I definitely what I like about Magic is building the deck. Like that was the most fun. I like spending all that time thinking about, oh, I could throw this card and this card together and, you know, have a great, ex like just create the most ridiculous things, decks, you know, on a budget. And uh, But you're also... Like I, that's what I was saying. Interesting is that you're often into the like the tinkering side of it, right? And like that's a part of the hobbies that we're playing, right? There's like a, a building and complexity, a tinkering. But you're someone who might spend a lot of time, like you know, on the subway, just like being like, I'm gonna like list build, and I want to make like a ton of different lists. Like I used to make magic decks that would be like, how can I make like the most disgustingly heinous deck that's like super cheap or like you know not uh you know not uh, it maybe comes off as like unassuming, but yeah, you know, absolutely. And that was fun. That's what makes those games fun. And that's what was sort of, I guess, missing in Keyforge. And that's what's sort of interesting about Marvel Crisis Protocols. I guess I don't see, I, I'd, I'd be curious to see how the uh, building element works when you sort of only have like 10 heroes. But uh. it's definitely different because like you have to bring 10 people to the table or, you know, 10 collection of people and or infinity stones at this point um to the table with you when you plan to start a game so before you have any idea what's going on you do have kind of like your own personal deck because you also bring a set number of tactics cards and then from those once you choose the um the crisis that you're in you whittle that down to however many uh, models fit into that particular um, threat limit bracket. So it could be something that adds up to 17 is, a, is I think, one of the first threat level um, crises that we had. But they go up to like 20 or down um, as well. So there's, there's a lot more... Um, that kind of element to it where you're you're strategizing building but it's not in the same way that you would build like a list for legion like you wouldn't build a list thinking that you're going to bring all of these things to the table you you build a list thinking i'm going to choose from these when we get there well and it definitely matters because there are crises that like you know for gamut shelters I want something like Black Order out there, but I don't want Miles Morales mm -hmm. trying to hold a freaking gamma shelter with all <laughs> these big things coming down on him. Like it's it's mm -hmm. definitely there's definitely strategy to pick those characters after the fact and to building a list of ten where you have that flexibility. What I wonder most about is I know I know they have themes in the game. Um but one of the cool things at this point, but what I wonder might be a problem later on, is that because you can mix and match any hero. Does eventually the roster pool become just so big that I could have like, you know, I can choose my 10 of like 200 characters. It'd almost be like playing a Song of Ice and Fire and being like, you got to build this many points, but you can use units from any faction. Um, yeah. I mean, you certainly can. It doesn't become too complicated. Are, like, well, you're restricted still by, not really restricted. You lose bone. But, um, right. You, you can be restricted by the affiliation. Like you can decide to go completely unaffiliated and just bring whatever characters you think work well together, but you do lose out on that affiliation bonus if you do that. So yeah, if we get up to like 200 characters, you could definitely just pick, you know, your favorites and bring those. 
but you do kind of hamstring yourself a little bit in some ways. Um, some people I think do also prefer to do it that way. They think that, you know, bringing an unaffiliated list is good because you can sort of maximize which characters you think work well together outside of that affiliation. And I know some, like some of the affiliations people aren't really as hot on. Um, I think like uh, the Wakanda affiliation bonus, some people don't like as much. Um, there's a couple that are out there that I think are very situational. And so it just depends, but you, you do kind of get to make that choice. If you want to run a list, that's just whatever characters you really like best, then that is completely up to you. I, I hope you're talking about 200 characters. If they get there, it's like a dream. They've been doing like, I've, yeah, I've, been, right? <laughs> I've been just like just dipping my feet in the water and being okay. Like, what does this look like? What do I have to keep track of? Like, I want to make some content like what might that cycle look like and it's like three they're about like three separate character packs like a month it's just like, like holy 46 characters i think yeah, right now yeah, i was like, like holy that. crap in a yeah. year this is it's i'm like trying to figure out like you know what's the is there like a bloat concern or not but you're right i guess the affiliations take care of a lot of that um you know i think a song of ice and fire is going to a really smart move going to quarterly releases where they do like a big dump once a quarter um you know it gives people more time to get used to those things and I guess it comes down to like, what are you most comfortable with as far as growth? I guess individual characters, you know, maybe that's a little bit different. I don't know. Well, and there's Marvel is Marvel is bigger than a song Ice and Fire with recognizable characters. That's there true. are so Although, many more. Recognizable I don't know. There's a lot of characters actually. No, I will I mean, I like challenge you on this all day like, that Marvel has multiples upon multiples of recognizable characters over a song Ice okay, and Fire. Okay, maybe recognizable to like the. Uh, well, yeah, if you uh, dig into A Song of Fire and get some of those deep characters, but the majority of the characters that have been released for A Song of Fire, I would say a lot of the people who play the game have never heard of until they're released. Yeah, fair enough. You know, uh, Lady Piper of House Greyjoy and her son Robin, you know, you gotta, or, uh, you know, all those random, random people, you're like, go, I'm looking at this, like, the House Greyjoy family tree. People are like, what's gonna be in the hero boxes, the hero box twos, and all these things, and it's like, there's so many people but it's just like these random, like this person is mentioned in a line in this book. But, you know, Marvel, they haven't touched Fantastic Four. They've just now is talking about X-Men. There's so much stuff. <laughs> so if you're looking, if someone asks you, okay, is this game good, right? Someone, someone comes to me, is A Song of Ice and Fire a good game? Uh, if they came to you, Marvel Crisis Protocol, War Machine, what would you, how would you explain what makes it a compelling game? So for me, if I was going to talk about A Song of Ice and Fire, like I might talk about the theme and how it really feels like there's a combat raging on the battlefield and on this tactics board behind the scenes, there's like political machinations. There's a lot of replayability because you have the tactics cards. Like the game basically has like three layers and tokens. And so there's like ways you could be coming up from more of a card perspective, more from off the table. You can become more from like the battlefield units. So there's lots of room for complexity. And yet it's still within a pretty confined, narrow box of like, here's how you can actually interact. There's only so many actions units can take. So there's a lot of room for mastery. There's like, you know, rules, but they're not oppressive. They're not too open. And, you know, I think pacing is a big one for me. It's like, you can sit down, you can play a game really fast. And I think these are things that make the game great. They it feels good. You can play it fast. You can get a few games in there, and it it uh, you know it has pretty tight rules, and there's you know room for area to get good at and like to grow with a game and learn to master. 
Um, you know, what might you say would make one of these other games good that you enjoy playing? Uh, Brian, what do, you, what do you think would make like War Machine? How would you say it's a good game? How would you pitch that? I mean, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot. Um, you know, I, I think it, there's various different categories to sort of make sure that, you know, your game is good on, right? Like, is it balanced? So is it not going to make you feel discouraged when playing? Or is it does it have enough going on? I mean, there's enough, you know, it's definitely expansive enough. Um, to, it has enough, you know, factions, enough units, enough variety, so you can spend all this time building it. Um, but also, yeah, it just has the mechanics in the game to make, you know, to, to be, I guess, unique um, in what it does. Um, to basically sort of have have a sort of play uh, you know play experience that is very much itself and provides you know for a uh, I guess just a complex battle that there's you know that involves a lot of strategy and a lot of sort of like maneuvering and you know management of the armies that you build so I don't know there's a, there's a lot there and it, it does provide for all those things um, while not being clearly c- kind of either you know unbalanced or having too many negative play experiences what about for either marvel crisis protocol or legion i think for legion a lot of the um a lot of what makes it a good game to me is sort of the variety in play styles that you can take and how involved the developers are in like updating the game and keeping it um like coming out with errata and stuff like that, where, you know, they recognize that they just released something and it kind of invalidates or lessens the usefulness of something else. So they come out with errata and, and fix that. And I think the, the sort of involvement from the development team in keeping the game um, up to date and, and playable is really big. And like the, when I felt this really a lot when clones first came out because we literally just had for clones and droids, um, the starter set. And it was hard to get sort of like a replayability because it felt like, you know, every, every game you play, you have just so many (laughs) options for what you can do. Um, But they, they came out with some pretty great releases that, really changed um the different ways that you can play those two teams and i think that for me makes it a really good game because there's there's so much variety like you could have two people playing clones against each other and it's completely different game like they're both playing it just very differently and it even even down to like similar um similar characters on the board you might play uh, one character much more aggressively or go for, you know, objectives much more um, decidedly, like that kind of being able to play it differently and, and there being so many options is really big for me. What about Marvel Crisis Protocol, Mark? Um, so with Marvel Crisis Protocol, I would say that I, I think the fact that it's so thematic is is a big draw for me. Um the things that you can do fit the characters. And on top of that, it's a pretty simplified rule set, at least in my mind, compared to other games I play. Um, it's very easy to get into. At first glance, it's it, it may look like, oh, it's $80 to buy this box. But, or, yeah, $80, $85. But when you think of like replayability, when you compare it to games like uh, Song Eyes of Fire and Legion, with those games, with one core box, you usually can't 
get a full army or at least a, a good full army where with crisis protocol you have a lot of options i think it's much easier to kind of jump in and start playing than some of these other games out there so yeah that makes sense i think to clarify though so a song of ice and fire you get your core set and you have like a lannister army and a stark army and they're not quite 40 points yeah um for marvel crisis protocol you buy the core set and you get 10 miniatures right yes and so that's enough for one player to have a, a completely full, totally fine roster. Like you could buy that box and be like, just yourself, be like, I'm done. So think, it's kind of, right? I think you can get pretty close to two players having close to a full roster, if I'm correct. But I need to look at the math. You can. Yeah, you can. It's just that um, if you're playing by the technical rules of the game, when you're supposed to bring like 10 yeah, characters you in your roster, you can't do that. But if you're just playing like a casual game, which is most of the games that I've played, like you can definitely get two teams out of the core box. Yeah, so it's kind of like, yeah. So it's like with the other starter sets where it's like two different armies because you can mix and match, you know, you can't play. I can't be like, oh, I bought the core starter set for a song of ice and fire. And I've got a, a full army. Cause it's like, Oh no, half of them are for an army. I might not play. Right. Well, not uh, even just that. You don't have to force it like that either. You have a full Avengers list and a full cabal list. It's, hmm. it's nice. Yeah, and I think, you know, so that's another thing is like accessibility, right? It's like the price point for some games and some something to even get into, like something I've often been very happy about is like I really like games that are easy for people to get in, like to build a community and get new players playing. Theme often helps with that. And then if the game actually has depth so that once you get in there, like you can actually grow and expand on the game itself, you know, that's another plus. So, I mean, I don't think we I don't think we necessarily definitively answered what makes a game a good game. But hopefully in hearing us talk about things, you know, you get to hear kind of some of the things that we like in games. And then in talking to some of these games, maybe you heard echoes of things that resonate with you. And so if you're really into theme, um, there's a lot of cool games with great themes out there. One I didn't actually mention was uh, Mortal Gods from the folks over at Footsore Miniatures. If you're into historical games, this is like historical game light, I might say, where it's like you can form up to a phalanx, but it's only got like six dudes and like a traditional phalanx. If you were going to be historical, it'd be like, oh, that's that's actually not enough people. They're just like whatever kind of rule of cool, some of that. And uh, it's a pretty clean game, but you draw these pebbles, these stones out, do your activations like, you know, the Greeks would vote with. And it just feels, and the, and the cards, there's these omen cards. And it's just like a pretty simple game that has like a good veneer of theme on it. That makes it more enjoyable. You know, if you're thinking about historical games, that's one I, I haven't really talked about, but I would I would definitely say check out. But so, you know, hopefully in hearing what we're interested in and some of the games that we think are good or we enjoy, you know, maybe you can kind of pull some of these threads together and start thinking about, okay, well, you know, are any of these things compelling to you? And I'd be interested to hear if you guys, when we post this, um, you know, let us know in the comments, like, what are things that you look at when you're you know seeing if a game is good to you is it the theme is it the pacing replayability you know is there some sort of continuous challenge component where it's like you can keep coming back and it's still going to be difficult or is it you know room for expansion that might be a discussion in itself of like how much of gaming is about like chasing that next thing you know that's one thing brian with crystal clans i'm interested about is like i sat down and that game as a card game i thought was amazing because it was basically just a war game that was like easy to travel with. <laughs> like it was great for you to bring that over. If I had to fly somewhere, like I would totally bring that. But it also had like none of the, you know, it was also had all the limitations. Like you bought your army and that's just your army. Like you can sit down and play. If I want to buy a new army in full, like I would have to buy another deck. 
So it doesn't have maybe expansion within your faction. It's always expansion with like a new deck in almost like that keyboard sort of way. Sure, sure. So it, you know, had some of those strengths and and weaknesses of stuff. But thank you guys so much for coming on and taking some time, just a ton of you know, chat and catch up and and uh, talk about what sort of miniature games people are enjoying or games in general. Yeah. And, uh, go ahead. Uh, I know. Oh, I just want to remind all of the Patreons that Chase, if you're in the Discord, you know this. Chase owes all of us order tokens. Oh okay. gosh, <laughs> he's, he's gonna figure out a way to get order tokens. Allegedly, to pay allegedly. for him, but it's happening. All these Star Wars Legion people in my Discord—they're—they're they're getting a little rabbit in here. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. And in the meantime, I hope you get your miniatures on the table. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, 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 beep.